just want to introduce Adam. Adam was with us last year. Adam is a friend of Resurgence. Adam is the associate pastor at West Edmonton Christian Assembly, WECA. Um, one of the, yeah, give it up for Adam. <laughs> I don't uh, actually, I was going to say one more thing before you clap. Um, Adam, uh, in this season, they've been doing a really cool initiative. I'm sure you may not say anything about it, but uh, at Marketplace Chapel. Marketplace Chapel was a, a chapel that is in West Edmonton Mall. It's on the second floor, right across by the hotel. And that's been there since 1980... Uh, 30 years. 30 years. So, uh, so it's been there 30 years. And West Edmonton Christian Assembly just took it over, remodeled it, and it's just an amazing uh, place in our mall West Edmonton Mall, where um, people can come and they can find Jesus. People yeah. can come and they can pray and they can kind of get a little break from their work or from shopping or from as their visitors. And it's just an incredible ministry. And I know that was a big thing that he did since he was with us last year. He spearheaded that. And uh, really excited. So if you're in West Edmonton Mall, go check that out. Stop by. It's open uh, during mall hours and you can check out that space. And it's amazing. So let's give it up for Adam. Thank As you. he delivers tonight. Amen. I'll double dip. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you for, uh, for clapping for me. It's completely unnecessary. I suck. Um, but uh, I do want to tell you about Jesus, and he's pretty awesome. And uh, we'll, we'll clap for him in a moment. But, um, but uh, if you're ever by uh, West Edmonton Mall, please come say hi to us. And so if you're, it's in, it's in like a, a really odd, it's like the armpit of the mall. It's a really weird spot. But it's right by, by Fantasyland Hotel, um, right as you're going to go up to the, the, the movie theaters up there. But it's, it's a neat spot. You know, people don't realize how big West Edmonton Mall is. There's 24,000 employees that call West Edmonton Mall home, right? And so as a church, we, we're really seeing those employees as our mission field. And so if we can reach out to those 24,000 employees, that's the goal. Uh, there's 90,000 to 200,000 employees who are not employees, people who go through the mall every single day, right? So if you just think of that, like it's crazy. Um, it's, it's a city within our own city here. There's over 30 million people every year that go through the mall. And so for us, we're, th we're, th we're thinking to ourselves, you know, that's an incredible mission field, an incredible opportunity to make a difference. Um, it's a totally backwards kind of church plant. It it's very different because your normal church plant does church on Sundays where we do church every single day. We're open Monday, well, Monday to Monday. to Monday. <laughs> we don't close. Uh, we get fined if we close. We're open whenever the mall is open. And so to try and staff that with volunteers, if you're looking for a great place to volunteer and get connected to meet some people, to lead some people to Jesus, to pray for some people to do a tangible work and a very tangible ministry. Um, it's a great opportunity to get involved, and so it's really exciting. Glad to be here. Love what you're doing at Resurgence. Love being here. My wife Shandy's here. That's always exciting. And um, But God, God is so good. You know, as we were driving here today, God put a verse on my heart. So before we jump into the sermon, I really want to look at this verse together. It's a, it's a fascinating one, and it's found in John chapter 8, verse 31, and it says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said this. And so, so to, these, uh, to this, these religious folks, these people who, who know a lot about uh, doctrine, these people who know a lot about, about God, who know a lot about religion, who know a lot about uh, uh, tradition, who know a lot about the church, to those people, this is what Jesus said. He said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That, 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 that's, that's a very fascinating thing to say. So he looks at these Jews who are following Jesus, and he says to these Jew, Jews, he says, listen, here, listen up. He says, if you, are, if you hold on to my teachings, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And as he says this, the Jews who are there watching Jesus and listening to him speak, they're all like, whoa, 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 no, no. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know who we are, Jesus. You, you, you forgot who we, like, do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? And they look at him absolutely bewildered, and, and the room gets super awkward. And it says this in verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. So, so how can you say that we shall be set free? You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Religious people can't get into bondage. Like, like people who, who, who believe in God, they, 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 don't, they don't get become slaves. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that, Jesus. No, and Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, stop. Verse 34, he says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, this is what I want to build off of today. Because I think sometimes we as Christians, we as the religious folk, and I know we hate the word religion, but let's be honest, we, we're, Christianity is a religion. <laughs> and, and, and at the end of the day, uh, I think sometimes, sometimes we get so busy just being Christian, and sometimes we get so busy just trying to follow Jesus, and sometimes we get so busy just trying to do good things that we, that we kind of forget that it's all about Jesus. And sometimes in my life, and sometimes in my walk, and sometimes, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I just get so busy doing religious things that I forget that Jesus applies to me too. That I forget that the Holy Spirit applies to my life. Sometimes I get so busy praying for other people, so busy writing sermons, so busy doing my own personal study that I forget that this book applies to my own personal life. And I just find it so interesting, and I, I can empathize with these Jews who are sitting there with Jesus, because they're all saying, like, I, I, we've never heard this before. Like, Jesus just walked onto the scene. Jesus is totally pushing over the apple cart. Everything they knew about religion got all messed up when Jesus stepped into the, into the mix. And then I, I just get nervous sometimes when I think of my own children. My children, I, I didn't grow up going to church, and I've always seen that as an advantage, and then I say to myself, well, okay, well, because I didn't grow up going to the church, I, I haven't been jaded yet. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, I, I, can, I can go reach, reach the lost. But now, now that I'm a dad of four children, I don't want them to have that advantage that I thought I had. I want them to grow up loving Jesus from, from the moment they're born for the rest of their lives. I don't want them to have to walk away to learn the redemptive power of God. I don't want them to have to experience that. I want them to walk in fervency. I want them to walk in power. I want them to walk with, with a conviction that God is real. He sets people free. He changes people's lives. He, he can do anything. And sometimes I get a little bit scared and a little bit nervous when I think of the, the, the future of the local church because we're so good at just doing church, but we're kind of bad at being Christian sometimes. And I wish that wasn't my story, but there's a little bit of that story in all of us. And there's, because I think what we forget sometimes is we forget how, how dangerous sin is. And we forget how tempting it is just to, to do what everybody else does. And we, for, for some reason, we, 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 we measure our, our fervency based off status quo. So as long as we're not the, the most jaded person in the room, we're doing pretty good. As long as I'm doing better than that guy, well then, hey, we're looking pretty awesome. And let, let me be honest with you, I, I haven't done extensive traveling around the world, but I can tell you this, North America, we're not very fervent in comparison to other places where you see the Spirit of God moving. 
And what we say is we say, well, well, at least I'm more fervent in my spirituality than the pagan. Or at least I'm more spiritual and more fervent in my spirituality than the person who doesn't know Jesus. And sometimes I wonder, what if there's more to what God wants to do? What if God wants to use this generation? And I'm so passionate about this generation and the generations to come and the generations before. I loophole. I'm passionate about people, all people. <laughs> but what if we as the church, what if we got to this place where we just surrendered everything and we just said, Jesus, I just, wanted, I just want to love people the way you love people. I just want to see people the way you see people. I just want, I just want to, to talk the way you talk. God, break my heart for the things that break yours. That, that, that's my prayer. That, that, that's my prayer. That's my prayer for our family. You know, we prayed a prayer, my wife and I. We said, we want our home to be a safe home. And we said, we want our house to be a place of safety where our children can feel like they're here and there's just a, a presence of God, a sense of God, and people, people feel safe. And that was her prayer, and we prayed this prayer a while ago. Well, you know what? God is a funny God. He's got a sense of humor. He's a little bit of a turd sometimes. <laughs> Because this is what happened. This is what happened. Um, so we pray this prayer, and we believe this over our house, and we try and build this kind of culture into our home, and then all of a sudden, I come home after grocery shopping. That's what you do when you're in your 30s and you have four kids. You shop, grocery shop at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I came home, and it was like 10.30 at night, and I walk in, and, uh, and uh, my wife is sitting there on the couch, and she's hanging out with one of her friends, and she's like, Adam, there's, there's a man on our front step. Can you go check out who's, who's there? And, and I go over, and I open the door, and there's this 20-year-old kid. And he's standing there, he just looks terrified. He's got blood all over his hands. And he goes, this is in my house. I'm like, oh, I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he's just on his phone, he's like, where am I, where am I? And I'm like, oh, you're, at, you're on whatever street. Oh, I don't know if I want everyone to know where I live, who cares? Yeah, you're on 158th Street. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm on 158th Street. And he's like, what's your address? And I'm like, 7505 158th Street. Then I'm thinking, I just gave this guy my address. What am I doing? And I'm like, okay. And then so he's like, all right. Then he just passes me the phone. And I could tell he'd been drinking. I could tell he was scared. And I can tell that something was not right. And he gives me this phone. And then there's this car driving by like so slowly in front of our house and this kid tries to hide behind the pillar like this right and I'm thinking oh my goodness and so I, I don't know what to do so I just pretend I'm talking to the cops and look really tough I'm like what's up I'm just kind of like stare him down thinking Jesus you better be real because this is happening right now and then I'm talking on the phone and this car like drives by and I see these guys looking through the windows at me and they just kind of keep driving all slowly and then the kid's like that was them. And I was like, that was them? What? And he's like, well, they just jumped me down the street in the bushes. And I didn't know where to go, so I was hiding in your backyard. And I saw some people inside the house, and so I came to go knock on your door. And then, uh, and then and now, now you're here. And I'm like, well, well, come on inside. Let's go inside. And so he comes on inside, and we close the door. We're waiting for his friend to come and pick him up. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, why did we pray that prayer? These people are coming into our house for safety. And so, so here he is. And I, and I look at him, I say, bro, like, you, you picked quite the house. Like, I'm a pastor, and uh, I just came back from the prison. I was speaking at the women's prison that night, and whenever I speak there, I'm on fire. And so I came back, and, and, and so, so how can we pray for you? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Do you want to hold hands? I'm like, who does that? Sure, come on in. <laughs> and so, so we pray for him, and then next day I invite him to church, and then we start texting back. We've been talking on, on, on cell phone, and, and God is doing some interesting things in our world. We just have to let our eyes be open to it. 
But that night, as I, um, before that kid came to my house, I was speaking at the prison. And this is just, just last week. It's not last Sunday, but the Sunday before. And, and Trav had uh, phoned me up and said, Adam, I thought, would you consider speaking at Resurgence? Every time I've been praying, and you're, you keep coming to mind. And I was like, absolutely. Whatever you ask me, I'm saying yes every time. And so I'm, I, I'm in. I love, love what you guys are doing here. But as I was speaking at the prison, God said to me something so clearly. Preach this sermon when you go there. And so I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm excited. And so, and so I, I'm going to speak to you the same sermon that God spoke, that I spoke at the prison two weeks ago in that, in that prison. And, and you know, I was, I was challenged by the Lord when I first became a Christian with this idea that there are, there are dark places in this world because Christians are too afraid to go there. And it's one of my favorite things about speaking in the prison, to be able to go in there and just talk, talk love, talk Jesus to people who, who don't, there, there ain't a lot, about, a lot of love out there. Um, and and it, it was a fantastic thing. But, but here, here let, let me go with this. A while ago, I went to the Edmonton Zoo. And when I was at the Edmonton Zoo, I saw something very fascinating. And I saw this, I saw this uh, lemur sitting cross-legged on a tortoise. <laughs> And to me, this is pretty amazing. <laughs> and so it's not something you see every day, and you see a lemur walking around on a tortoise, and I'm thinking, this lemur has life figured out. He knows how to live. And uh, he, he is the top of the food chain in there. <laughs> he's loving life. And he's just going around and around and around and around. I'm thinking, this is phenomenal stuff. Look at this lemur. But then, but then, then something struck me that's very unnatural, <laughs> what, I, what, I'm, what I'm seeing here. But he's looking like he's enjoying life. And, and I, mean, I mean, like, he, in, in, in this particular moment, he's got all the food he could ever need, all the water he could ever need. He's got, he's got there's no predators in the prison. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You kind of got health care in the prison. You get sick, you're going to have somebody come and fix you. It, it's, it's kind of awesome inside this, this, little, this little zoo cage. But then I had this thought. What if I were to steal this lemur? And what if I were to throw this lemur into, into Madagascar, where they live, because I can throw that far. And, uh, and what, if he was, what if he was there? Um, would he still be enjoying life? And I had this thought. Like, what if, what if living in captivity, what if living in this cell, living in this prison, what if he enjoyed it? What if he doesn't want to be free? I mean, because in, in, in the wild, in the wild, there's predators. And in the wild, you've got to forage for food. In the wild, you've got you to you kind of live. In the wild, you've got to risk. In the wild, it, it, it's real. And in the, in the, in the wild, it's dangerous. But, but, but in captivity, in captivity, we can start believing this lie, that, that, and we can start almost glamorizing comfort, so to say, and we can start believing that, you know what, this is actually pretty awesome. And if this is what life is, I'm kind of enjoying life, and I'm going to make the most of it. In fact, I'm going to travel around my prison on a tortoise. And so here we got this lemur living in captivity, and, and, and it appears as though he's enjoying it. And then I started thinking about humanity, and I started thinking about you, and I started thinking about me, and I started thinking about life, and I started thinking about this parallel that we have. What if, what if we are, and this is when it gets kind of freaky, it's when it gets scary, what if what we thought was freedom actually isn't? And what if for years you've been living what you thought was a free Christian life when in reality you were created for so much more? You've just learned how to cope with what you've got. And you see, all throughout the scriptures, all throughout humanity, all throughout time, people have been trying to find freedom the easiest way possible. 
We, um, we, we, we try and find it with alcohol. We try and find it with drugs. We try and find it with success. We try and find it with, with, with whatever we can. We try and find it with volunteerism. We try and find it with being good. We try and find it however we can try and find it. But the truth is, I think of this verse, and as Jesus continues, and this is looking back at that John verse I opened up with, he's talking to these Jews, and he looks at these Jews, and he says in verse 34, this is John chapter 8, verse 34, he says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave is no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And when I read a verse like this, it really shows me, you know what, the only way that we could ever really be free is Jesus. It's not in the things you do, the things you accomplish. It's not in our ability to mask stuff. Our true freedom, if you want to be the person God created you to be, you're not going to find it anywhere else but at the foot of the cross. You're not going to find it anywhere else on this planet. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how much money you give away, how many good things you do, how much scripture verses you memorize, how much, how much philanthropy is running through your veins. It matters Jesus matters. But, but we're humans, and we're, we're sneaky, and, and we, we, try and find, we try and find shortcuts. And so this, this evening, I want to talk about what freedom isn't for a while. And I'm hoping that tonight, God can do some serious heart surgery in this place. Because I, I don't want to be here to entertain you. There's other things we could be doing tonight. You don't want to be here to be entertained. But my prayer is that this evening, we would open our hearts to say, God, what is it that you have for me this evening? You know, maybe God's got nothing for you this evening, but can you do me a favor? Can we, all just, can we all just pray a quick little prayer and ask God to speak to our hearts? Ask God to use his word to speak directly to us. It doesn't matter what I say, but let's ask God and see if he can do something. And so would you bow your heads with me and let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you that you're real. And I thank you that you're in the business of restoring humanity. You're in the business of second chances. You're in the business of new beginnings. You're in the business of freedom, Lord. And Father, I pray that tonight you would open our eyes to your scriptures. And I pray that, Father, that, you, I pray that, Father, that today we'd be honest. We wouldn't care about the person sitting beside us. But maybe, just maybe, we could leave here different than the way that we came. Not because we came to resurgence, but because we encountered you. God, we need you this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at Genesis. So if you have your Bibles with, me, with you tonight, uh, go to Genesis, please. And let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And it's a pretty fascinating story. I'm sure you're fairly familiar with the story, so we won't go into it in great detail. But I do want to highlight an aspect of the story. So if you're familiar with the story, uh, the serpent tempts Eve to take a bite of the apple or the pomegranate or whatever the fruit is. It doesn't really matter. It takes a bite of the fruit. Adam takes a bite of the fruit. They're both eating this fruit. The problem is God asks them explicitly, please do not eat the fruit. Eat anything else you want in this, on this, on this island, um, in this garden, um, anything else you want to eat, but don't eat from this tree. Well, they do it anyways. And here we have Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. And God walks in. He says, oh, man, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12. Now the man says this. It was the woman. Classic guy move. <laughs> Classic. 
Um, instead of taking the blame on himself, he looks around, oh, I'm going to blame it on her. She, she gave me the fruit. It wasn't me. So, so God walks in, and he, and he questions Adam, and Adam looks around. He said, yeah, it was her. But he realizes pretty quickly that that's not a good enough reason, so he, he, he elaborates a little bit. He, he, he expands upon his little thought, and he says, it was the woman that you put here. So, so if you're going to blame anybody, God, don't blame me. Blame her. If you're not going to blame her, you should blame yourself. <laughs> the audacity. And oh, how we do this all the time. We just do it secretly in our minds. It was the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and then so I ate it. Verse 13. Then God looks to the woman, thinking she's going to say something that makes a little bit more sense than this buffoon, surely. And he looks to the woman, give her a chance to fess up. But she's trying to find freedom. And she's trying to, she's trying to cover her tracks. And she looks God in the eye. And this is what happens. Verse 13, then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman replies, me. It was the serpent. It was the serpent who deceived me. And so then I ate it. And, and what we need to understand is, is freedom is not found in deflecting your problem. And freedom is not found by blaming others. And you say, Adam, that's very easy for you to say. You don't know my life. You don't know what my father did to me. You don't, know, you don't know how that person abused me. You don't know what that person did to me. Freedom, you're, not, you're never going to find freedom by, 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 by just putting all the problem on somebody else. You're never going to find freedom by, 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 by playing the victim. You're never, you're never, you're never going to find freedom by just saying, by just saying well, well, well it, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Well, let me tell you, it may not be your fault, but it's still your responsibility. You're still going to have to deal with it somehow. You're still going to have to try and figure out how to make sense of this life. Otherwise, you're just going to have to get happy living in the cage that you're living in. And God created you more than just to live in a cage. He created you to be free. And to be free, we, it means that we have to bring ourselves to a place of repentance before God and say, God, I need you to help me to love people the way you love me because I cannot do it in my own strength. It's real. It's real. Christ didn't die on a cross for you to have to limp through life for all of eternity. not my fault, oh Lord. They did this to me. This happened to me. It's their fault. If you knew the circumstances, you wouldn't be here. Why do you put all this pressure on me, God? We get to this place and we start thinking it's us against God. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I want to walk with you. I want to show you what real living is. And unfortunately, son, unfortunately, daughter, you're going to have to walk through some pain in order, to get to, into, in order to get to the other side. But you don't have to live there. I think of Psalm 23, oh, where it talks about how I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil because you are with me. 
It doesn't say, as I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil once I get to the other side, because that's where you are. When, when life is good, that's where you exist, God. See, that's the problem with Christianity. We, we do so good at pretending everything is great that we don't ever walk through hardship, that we don't ever walk through pain. That's, that's not how God works. See, God meets us in our pain and carries us through. Freedom is not found by blaming others or deflecting our problem. Freedom is only found in Jesus. Real freedom is only found in Jesus. Fast forward in the Bible, we get to Samuel. And in Samuel, we have the story of, uh, of David and Bathsheba. And, and I'll read a little bit of the story. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I won't go into great detail, but I'll read it for you. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, In the spring of the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That's a little creepy. That's why we don't walk on the roofs here in Edmonton. <laughs> you see, throughout the years, we've read their Bibles enough to know you, nothing good happens when you walk on a roof. It's, it's, it's just weird. So you don't have to walk on the roof. And so David is walking on the roof, and he notices somebody bathing. Well, it's one thing to notice somebody bathing. But here it says... The woman was very beautiful. And then David sent someone to go find out about her. This up, upgrades his creepy level. <laughs> it's one thing to look. It's another thing to send us by. <laughs> very, very, very creepy. And David sent someone to go find out who she was. The man returned, and he says, well, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messages to go get her. Creepy status, upgraded once again. Don't just find out who she is. Bring her over. She came to him, and she slept with him. Not sleep, sleep, but sleep, sleep. <laughs> and then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, at this point in the story, David freaks out because, because he's trying to think, like, if she didn't get pregnant, nobody would know. But she got pregnant. So now what am I going to do? And so, so he, 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 he creates his plan. And he goes and he sends for her, her husband. And he sends, him back, sends for him to come back and meet him at the palace. Because he's thinking, well, if I can just get her husband to come back, then his husband, her husband can then sleep with her. And then, boom, we can just say that the baby's his and I'm going to be gone. Nobody's going to blame me. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be free. And so he does it. And she, he gets Uriah to come back. And I want to point out in this story that, that Uriah, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. Uriah is not just some, some stranger. David would have known who Uriah was. Dirtbag. And, and so he knows who Uriah is, and he brings Uriah back, and, and he says, well, Uriah, welcome. Thank you for fighting so hard. Thank you for doing this great work and fighting for our country. Why don't you go home and celebrate and spend a night with your wife, and you can go back out onto the field. He's like, no, 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 David, I cannot do that. Why would I ever do that? Well, my countrymen are out there fighting and losing their lives. I cannot do it. So David looks at him, and he thinks, shoot, what am I going to do? 
I'll do what any good Christian leader would do. What will I do? I know, I'll get you drunk. And so he gets him drunk, and he's thinking, if I can just get you drunk, then, then maybe when you're drunk, you'll go back and you'll sleep with your wife, and then, 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 then I'll be free. Because the story's crazy. But when you sin and you're trying to cover sin, you find yourself doing things you never thought possible in a million years. You find, you find a, a whole new level of, of nasty creativity that you didn't even knew existed inside of you. You find yourself doing things you never thought you would ever do, crossing lines you never thought you'd ever cross. And it happens to all of us. Because sin is that bad. Sin is dangerous. It's not just, it's not just some subtle little thing. So David, he's freaking out. And, and then so, so Uriah won't do what he's asking him to do. And so he thinks, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So he gets a scroll, rolls out a scroll, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. Dear person who leads the army, I can't remember what the name is. <laughs> this is what I want you to do. I want you to put Uriah on the front lines, and then I want everybody to pull back, and I want you to leave him there to die. King David. <laughs> Rolls it up, signet ring, boom, takes the scroll. Oh, the Honorable David, you know what he does? He gives it to Uriah, puts it in his hand. Uriah walks this letter back to his captain. Hey, 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 captain, here you go. Gives it to him, captain opens it up. He didn't tell him. Rolls it back up, puts it in his pocket. If they had pockets, they probably didn't. <laughs> Goes to war the next day, put Uriah out in the front. Everybody pulls back, Uriah dies. Word get backs to David. David celebrates. I, I did it! I'm free! I'm free! I'm finally free! It's amazing. It worked! But verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. But after the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And David's thinking to himself, I'm free. It worked. I did it. No one will ever know. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, this is one of the, one of the worst parts of this sermon. Because in reality, you can fake out your friends. You can fake out your spouse. You can fake out your pastor. You can fake out everybody around you. But you can't fake out God. And there are Christians all over the place walking through life saying, I'm free! I'm free! No, no, I'm free! Did you see me worshiping today? Did you see my hands raised? Did you see how much money I gave? I didn't sign up for one registration for conference. I signed up for two because I am double blessing free. And what ends up happening is we start thinking that we can just cover it up. And if we can just cover it up and fool enough people, we can get to a place where we can fool ourselves to all of a sudden we think, well, this is what real freedom is. And really, you're just walking around a cage, sitting cross-legged on a tortoise, thinking this is what real freedom is. And God's saying, son, daughter, you were made for more than that. I didn't, I didn't die on a cross so you can dupe everybody else out and call that freedom. I died on a cross so that I can give you a second chance at life, so I can give you a new beginning, so you can pull that mulligan out of your pocket and say, here we go. God cares about us that much. And so often we, 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 we try and find the shortcuts. 
And I'm not saying this with fingers pointing. I'm saying this with fingers pointing everywhere, myself included. We are human. That's what we do. But that's not okay. And that's why Jesus came and died on a cross. So that we can stop just covering up sin and thinking that that makes us free. But we can lay it all down before him. and Say, God, make a new creation in me, out of me. The fascinating thing about, Jesus, or about King David is that he's recognized in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart. He is an adulterer, a murderer. You heard the story. I didn't make it up. It's written in those pages. That guy's a dirtbag. He's a creepy dirtbag. But what does he do? God gets a hold of his heart. God turns everything upside down. God, God, God shows him what he, what he was really created for. God presses the reset button. And God can do that in your life too. You see, your greatest days are ahead of you. And your past doesn't have to be your future anymore. We, uh, we, we were here about a year ago, a little bit more than that, a year and a bit. And uh, we had recently adopted a little boy. And uh, one of the things I'm just so thankful for is that my little Thomas, like, like that cycle of, prod- of poverty has been broken now. <laughs> And now, now you, you can come into my home. And your, your past, what got you to the place where I had to come in and adopt you, well, that doesn't have to be your future anymore. And you, you can come, and we are going to raise you as your, just as if you're our own. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna walk with you and encourage you and pick you up when you fall. That's what God does for each and every one of us. It's pretty cool. That's why I'm still a Christian today. This idea that God is a God who sets people free. God is a God who cares. He's not just some religion or worldview or philosophy or way of thinking or way of living. He's real. It's amazing. So, so freedom is not found by, by avoiding our problems, not found by covering up our problems. Let's look at Jonah. I love the verse, this, this, the beginning of Jonah, how it starts out. Jonah chapter 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And and I can just picture how awesome that sounds. And God's looking at Jonah and saying, you, I choose you, Jonah. And I choose you to go there. And you are going to do great works. It sounds so exciting. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound to that port. And after paying the ferry, went on board, sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so here's God giving Jonah explicit directions. Jonah freaking out and saying, I don't want to do that, God. I'm going to go the other way instead. And so he does. And Jonah's thinking, I'm free. I'm free. I, I don't have to do what God asked me to do. I, I, don't, I don't have to put myself in that position. I don't, I don't have to take that risk. I don't have to do it. I, I'm just going to go and do my own thing instead. Because over here, over here, I'm in control. Over there, that's what God wants me to do. I don't want to do what God wants me to do, though. So I'm going to make a new life for myself here. Now, many of us in this room don't find ourselves in this exact position. But we kind of do at the same time. Maybe God's been calling you into missions. Or maybe God's put his hand in your life and you know, you know that you know that you're supposed to pursue ministry. 
You know that you know that you're supposed to, to, to maybe leave that relationship that you're in because it feels so good, but you know it's so wrong. You know, maybe it's a job that God's telling you, you know, you need to step out in faith. Maybe it's for this conference and maybe God put it on your heart today while Travis was talking and you're like, wow, sponsor another person to go. No, 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 that's stupid. I'm going to buy some pizza instead, <laughs> Right? Right, well, maybe you never know, right? And God, it may not be as blatant as what happened to Jonah, but there are some subtleties that creep into our lives. Verse 4. So then the Lord, so here's Jonah, he's on the ship, he's thinking, I made it, I'm free, I'm good. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent wind, in fact, that a storm arose, and the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And everybody's freaking out. And what Jonah failed to realize is that his disobedience negatively impacted everybody around him. He didn't think it would, but it did. And oftentimes that happens in our lives too. Where, where, where we have, maybe it's not God telling you to do something specific. But maybe it's just, just, maybe it's some kind of sin or some kind of problem or some kind of issue that you chose not to deal with. And you thought to yourself, well, if I can just pretend it's not there, then, then maybe I can go on just living my own life and doing, doing whatever it is that I want to do. And, and if, if nobody else knows about it and if I don't talk about it and if I just suppress it far enough, then maybe I'll be fine. But you all of a sudden realize that your patience is shorter than it used to be. Your compassion quotient is diminishing at great speeds. You're stopping caring. You're getting frustrated. You're getting jaded. You're getting cynical. You're starting to doubt God. You're starting to doubt faith. You're starting to doubt miracles. You're starting to doubt all these things because everything's just, everything's just so hard. And life was never meant to be hard like this. I'm free. I'm free. Keep telling yourself that. If that's what free is, I don't want to be free either. Freedom is only found in Jesus. And it's only found when we deal with our stuff and say, God, set me free. The last one is this. You see, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And we give Pharisees a hard time, but if we're honest, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. And there's this point where, 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 where Jesus just, it's almost as though Jesus snaps. And he, he had had enough. And it's found in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, verse 39. And it says this. And then the Lord said to him, and this is Jesus talking, and I love it. He says, now then, you Pharisees, clean, you guys clean the outside of your cup and dish. But the inside, on the inside... You are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? And this, I, I love this because this one I find so convicting. Because we're so good at just polishing the outside. And we're so good at just pretending everything is good. And we're so good at just pretending that, that, that we never go through any kind of troubles ever. Oh, welcome to church. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Everything's fine. My wife just left me. <laughs> right? Like we, 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 we don't actually be sincere ever. 
Because we think for some reason if we're going to be a good Christian, it means we can't be sincere. If we're going to be a good Christian, it means we can't be going through whatever. If we're going to be a good Christian, it means that we can't, we can't actually ever be going through trials. And so we just need to polish the outside. But Jesus, he calls these Pharisees, these religious people, and he pulls them together. He's like, guys, you missed it. I didn't just make the outside, I made the inside too. And we get this idea that if we could just put on a Christian face and pretend that we're free, then we're free. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. There's a quote I heard one time. I don't know who said it, but I wrote it in my Bible. And so I've quoted it so many times I pretend it's mine. (laughs) But it's not mine. It's somebody else's. So if you're going to quote it, just put unknown. (laughs) Living as a victim is easy. But living free means I take personal responsibility for both the good and the bad parts of my life. I may not be at fault, but it is my responsibility. And with that, I'm going to invite the band back up today. And this evening, I want us to close with a time of prayer. And as I was preparing for tonight, the Holy Spirit brought up three, three things specifically that I, I think he wants to target this evening. The first one was bitterness. And it's as though God's saying, it's like, listen, 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 listen. You may have covered up bitterness for a while. You may have pretended you weren't bitter for a while. You may have gotten so good at hiding your bitterness, but it's coming out. And I don't know why, why it's happened, but at some point, at some, something's gone on in your life that's brought you to this spot where, where, where you've grown bitter, where your capacity to love isn't there like it once was where your capacity to forgive isn't there because you've been holding on to unforgiveness. I don't know what exactly it is, and I don't know who exactly I'm speaking to, but as clearly as, as, as I'm talking now, God said that to me earlier today. Adam, tonight I want to set people free from bitterness. The second one is brokenness. And I believe that God wants to restore some broken things today. I believe that God wants to restore some broken marriages. I believe that God wants to restore some broken relationships. Now this, this might be maybe with, uh, with your parents and you. This may be, this may be maybe a friend group. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse sitting right beside you and this just got real. But I believe that God wants to restore something tonight. And you've gotten to this place where, where it's almost as though you've begun to accept that you're just broken and that's how it is. In fact, you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you've thought that, I'm broken. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'll just never be made whole again. Maybe it's a decision you made. Maybe it's something that happened to you. You may be the victim at this. But it's your responsibility to get free. And I think God wants to set you free. I know God wants to set you free. And so I don't know what that is and what that specifically represents, but I know that there's people in this room tonight where God wants to restore what the enemy has broken. The last one is this one. It's a very churchy word, but it started with B, so it fits. And it's bondage. And, and this one, I actually had to look it up. I'm like, Lord, bond, I don't even use the word bondage. What does this even mean? It's all slavery. 
Adam, I want to set people free from bitterness, brokenness, and bondage tonight. And there are people who are so <laughs> enslaved in their sin that, that they don't even know what freedom looks like anymore. I do an illustration whenever I speak at camp, so I'll do it for you tonight because it really helps paint a picture. To describe bondage, I can describe it with these garbage cans. You know, in life, I don't know what it is. It could be different for every person in this room, but you end up picking up stuff. You pick up garbage, and this garbage becomes a habit. This garbage becomes something that just kind of builds on to what you do. Now, what happens with bondage is it's not like you're always chained up and you can't move. It's the enemy's far more subtle than that. You can still go on living your own life with, with cans in your hands. And, and you can do Christian things with cans in your hands. You can lift your hands up and worship. You can, Shandy, can you come here for a second? That's my wife, Shandy, not a stranger, just so you know. You, you, can, you can embrace your spouse with cans in your hands. And you think, that you think that your marriage is whole, you think everything is good, because you, 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 can, because you can embrace. But you were never created to live life with cans in your hands. There, there, there's more to life than cans with your hands. And we can get good at doing Christian things. I can still read my Bible with cans in my hands. And some of you are really good at hiding the fact that you got cans in your hands. But you were never created to live life with cans in your hands. That's not what real freedom is. That's not what real freedom is at all. Yes, I can feel the warmth of my wife's embrace, but if I were to get these, rid of these cans, that hug feels so much more real, so much more different. You can worship with cans in your hands, but you have the living God take those hand cans out of your hands, then I can tell you right now, your worship's going to feel different tomorrow. You, you're, it, could be, it could be maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe, maybe it's with your workplace. Maybe it's something that you're doing when you're private by yourself. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's pride. I don't know what it is. But I believe so clearly tonight that God wants to take cans out of your hands. That simply. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I don't have the power to take cans out of your hands. I don't. I can, I can speak a sermon. I can make you laugh. I can make you cry if I tell the right stories. I can do it right now if you want. But I can't change your life. And I can't take cans out of your hands. And I can't set you free. Only God does that. And so this evening, I want us to do something. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not here every week, so I don't know exactly what your culture is like. And I don't know exactly where you're coming from. I don't know you. But I know who God is. And so can we do something vulnerable? I don't want us, I could, I could pray right now that God would set you free in your seats and God could do that. But I'm nervous that maybe you came with somebody tonight and your, your, your sin is so bad. You, you feel so guilty because of it. I'm nervous that if I just do a really blanket prayer, and that's usually my temptation because it's easier. <laughs> I'm nervous that if I do that, you can leave here the same way that you came in because you don't really want to deal with it because you're scared. So can I ask you, all across this room, if you want God to take the cans out of your hands, 
whatever that represents to you, can I ask you to come up front? Perk to being a big church is a lot of room. Just come up front and we'll spread out all across the front. In fact, I'll even invite you to start coming now because I know, I know there's some of you in this room who want to come. And what we're going to do is the band's going to pray, play. And all across this room, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God will set us free. Set us free from that guilt, that pain, that shame. Thank you for coming. It always takes faith to be the first one. Just keep, keep, keep on coming. And tonight, you could leave here the same way that you came. If you do, it doesn't really affect me. But you could leave here different. Your whole entire life could change in this very moment. I invite you just to just spread right out. Make room for everyone. I'm not trying to manipulate anything, so I'm not going to lay my hands on you. I'm not even going to touch you. The Holy Spirit doesn't need me. The Holy Spirit's real. God is real. He knows everything about you. Feel free to keep coming. It's almost as though you can see the space up at the front. It's almost a, a giant confessional booth where we're tonight we're saying, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of just avoiding my problems or covering up my problems or masking my problems or pretending that they don't exist. God, I want to be free. And in your own words, I invite you to start praying that prayer. It doesn't have to be fancy. You're not going to impress God by your words that you say. You know what you're impressing God with tonight? Your obedience. And God's saying, wow. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray for those who came forward. I pray for those who are still sitting down trying to get the courage to stand up. I pray for, I pray for those who are, who are standing in the, in the pews knowing that, God, their heart is right with you right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in such a mighty way, such a real way, such an authentic way, Lord God. That, God, you begin to surprise us with your ability just to, just to, to be that freedom maker. God, I pray, against, I pray against addiction in Jesus' name. That you begin to break the power of addiction off in Jesus' precious name. God, we pray for restoration this morning or this evening that you begin to restore hearts, and restore lives, restore faith, restore dreams, God. I love that line that I heard earlier where everybody is a leader. Father, you've got a plan and a purpose for each and every purpose person in this room. God, I pray that you would restore that in each and every individual this evening. God, that we would no longer look at ourselves the way the world looks at us, that we no longer look at ourselves the way, the way the enemy looks at us, that we no longer look at ourselves the way our flesh looks at us, God, but we would look at ourselves the way you created us to be. Jesus, I speak against bitterness in Jesus' name. And where bitterness has begun to take root, I pray that, God, that you would set people free tonight. That, Jesus, there would be a, a, just a, a, a cleansing of spirit, oh, God. 
God, that we would no longer, no longer accept the fact, well, I'm just cynical, I'm just bitter, and then accept that as a character trait. But Father, I pray that your spirit would come this evening, and that, Father, where there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is judgment, where there is, uh, God, where there is anger, that, God, that you would come and restore. Holy Spirit, that you would come and restore. Father, where there is brokenness, Father, specifically I pray for those hurting marriages right now. That, God, that there would be a, a peace, a grace, a love that would come that can only come from you, Lord God. I pray for restoration in Jesus' name. God, where things have gone so far, so far past the edge, I pray that forgiveness would be their anthem. God, that, God, you would come in in such a mighty way that you begin to change hearts, change perspectives, change minds, change the temperature of that relationship, Lord Jesus. I pray for broken father relationships with son, broken mother relationships with son, mother with daughter, father with daughter, father, there would be a restoration of family, God, where there have been wedges that have been drawn in. I pray that your spirit would come and set people free tonight, Lord Jesus. God, that you would begin that work in us so that we could take that work that you're doing in us home with us, Lord God. That God, where we've been holding on to unforgiveness, holding on to pain, holding on to lies, God, we just leave those at the cross this evening, Father, and we just pray that your spirit would fill us, that we would go home, restore toward Jesus where there is bondage I thank you that you're the bondage breaker that addiction has no power in comparison to you you're stronger than any drug any alcohol any wrong relationship stronger than any pornography, stronger than any fleshy desire. Jesus, we lay it all before you tonight. Set us free. Set us free, Lord God. We'll keep this place a place of prayer and invite the band to play. If you'd want to be prayed with specifically, Trav, I believe you have prayer teams here. And so if you would like someone to pray with you specifically, um, we will love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. My wife would love to pray with you. If you don't want anybody praying with you, kneel. <laughs> then I won't come after you. If you're standing, I'm coming. <laughs> but God's got a plan for you tonight. I don't believe in mistakes. I don't believe in happenstance. I believe that God set it up for you to be here for such a time as this. I believe that your past doesn't have to be your future. I believe that God can restore anything. I believe that there's no such thing as too far gone and too broken. I believe that God is real and that God is in this place today. I believe that God's got a plan for your life. That God is, I believe that this, this community, that you're a community of pioneers, a community of trendsetters, not just trend followers. That you're a community of mavericks who are stepping out and saying, I'm gonna start a new thing. A community is not afraid to, to take risks. A community is not afraid to live out their faith. A community is not, not afraid. <laughs> I want to warn you, though. The enemy is going to try and make you arrogant. He's going to try and make you prideful. Don't listen to him. <laughs> the Lord wants to use you. And each and every person who's here tonight, he wants to use you. Your plan, his plan, we can never really fully understand it, but he's got a plan. And so, Lord, we give you this evening, and we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for each and every person that can be here. But, God, we want to leave here different than the way that we came. 
So Father, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.